Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. Bless the Lord. This is Pastor Winfred Burns, and you are now live with the Word on Wednesday. We bless God for each of you tonight, and as we continue in our series, The Crisis at Corinth, um, tonight we get to Chapter 8. Last week, we were um, in Chapter 7. And we covered off on a lot of the um, a lot of things that had to do with marriage, and we talked about marriage in that particular society. Now we move to chapter eight, and in chapter eight, um, we're going to have a, a we're going to begin another segment of the conversation that uh, takes us all the way from chapter eight to. Ch- through chapter 11. And this segment uh, primarily deals with worship, uh, the, the, the problems that they're having in worship and um, how they, these problems are bringing division. Hey, Donna, how y'all doing tonight? Um, anyway, and so what we want to do tonight after we have a brief word of prayer is we want to begin to dissect this. and But before I can dissect it, I need to, to introduce you to uh, some of the societal norms that took place back in first century Corinth. So, um, and I believe that if I do this, this will help you to understand what Paul is writing and why he's writing these things. The other thing tonight is that you'll hear me, uh, I'll read in the NIV, but this week I got kind of, I got, hey, how you doing, my Lord? This week I got kind of upset with the NIV because they were missing certain nuances that are important to understand what we are studying. And so I'll, I'll, I'll stay with the NIV just like I promised, but I'm going to lean on some things in the ESV that'll help bring out meaning better. Um, So with that said, let's have a word of prayer and let's dive right in. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. We bless you. We praise you. We honor you tonight, Lord. God, how we love your word. And we feast on your word tonight that you provided for us. We have but one ask tonight, and that is that you lead us and guide us by your spirit, that you speak with us through your word, that you minister and power to us. Father, we study your word because we desire to serve you the way you want to be served. Not the way, We don't want to offer up to you what we want to offer up, but we want to offer up to you the service that you want. We don't want to be like Cain and just show up with any old kind of thing. 
but we want to bring you that which you desire. So help us, oh God, to understand what you're saying. Help us to serve as you want us to serve. We bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, the first thing that I want to do tonight is I want to deal with Greco-Roman society in the first century. One of the things that they did was, in Greco-Roman society, was that they gained status by being around people of greater status. So, when they, when it came to um, when it came to festivals, when it came to dinner parties, what they would do is they would invite people that would give them status or affirm the status that they had. So it was like a climbing of, of things. It's like in the in the church, you always want to be close to the people that you deem are in power. You want to be close to the pastor. Uh, you want to be close to the head of the deacons or the head elder or whatever. You want to be in the in crowd. You don't want to be seen as a nobody. So in Greco-Roman society, there was a lot of social climbing going on. And a lot of this took place in the temples and in the feasts that they had in their homes. Now, these feasts that they had, um, they took place, and, I, and now you, you really need to pay attention tonight to, to this because um, it's going to set the backdrop for the next three or four chapters, like I said. Now, these feasts that they had were often in gardens, and they, the Greco-Roman style caused them to, to dine while they were reclining around the table. And the closer you were to the host, the more important you were. That's one thing. The other thing that happened in these feasts was that there was food in the temple as well as in the home feast that was dedicated to idols. And the reason why they dedicated the food to idols or the meat to the idols, was because this was their offering to a god, and in turn, they, this god would look favorably upon them. So what they were doing was they were appealing for favor by dedicating something to an idol or a, the, the house gods, and there were many, many gods in Corinth. So when... They when when the when the people the the Christians in Corinth were called out of their situation their former situation into their new life in Christ they did not necessarily leave behind the habits that had been accumulated in their prior lives and they were bringing those habits they were bringing those philosophies into the household of faith. Specifically in this passage, what we're dealing with is the people who were well-to-do. And so what they're doing, what Paul is addressing here, is some of the questions that 
are coming from the church that have been generated by a society who is in the process of being made holy, of being conformed and transformed into the image of Christ. Now, what does that mean to us today? When we come into the household of faith, when we come into the knowledge of God, when God reveals himself to us, there are times when we bring into the household of faith the things that we learned in the world. We bring those habits. We bring uh, those, those attitudes that that we had in the world, and until God begin works with us to transform us into a more Christ-like image, we continue to operate in those areas the way we did when we were in the world. And so these are the things now that that we're facing when we move into um, chapter eight. And so I'm going to begin reading, and hopefully tonight, this is a short chapter. We should be able to cover it, but there's a couple of principles that we can glean from this chapter that I believe will help us as we continue in our journey toward holiness. So let's go. Uh, And I'm at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now about food sacrificed to I. Oh, let me stop. Let me stop. Let me stop for a minute. Okay, I I, I, I messed up. Look, tonight when you, if you want to call in, you call in to nine two nine four seven seven two three zero four nine two nine four seven seven two three zero four. I'm also supposed to tell you to hit your share button, which I didn't do. And uh, t- toward the end of the class tonight, I want to make sure that you. Um, that you ask the questions. Those were the three things I was supposed to do, and I just did them. Okay, now I'm at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now, about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. Now, let me read that in the ESV portion, okay? And, um, I should have had this turned already so I wouldn't waste time. Okay, now it says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Now, what is he saying? Right now what he's beginning to say, he's getting ready to parrot back to them words that they have sent to him. And and basically, they say, you know we know this. And Paul, what he turns around and says, yeah, but you know with the knowledge that comes from man, you are thinking with your natural mind. And in thinking with your natural mind, you, have an, you get an incomplete. 
You see, what we know when we really know something comes from divine revelations. Revelation. Remember in chapter 2 where he talked about the wisdom of man? Well, you're operating in worldly wisdom. You're operating with worldly knowledge. And worldly knowledge will never get you the revelation necessary to make heavenly decisions. And so he's, he's saying, yeah, all of us got that. But if you think you know something, you don't know nothing at all. And then he goes on to say, this knowledge, the knowledge that you're operating on, man's knowledge, does nothing but bring arrogance. It puffs you up. It makes you think you know better than anybody else. It takes you away from being teachable because you know it already, and not only do you know it, but you're ready to tell everybody what you know to move them towards your way of thinking, and that does not work in the kingdom of God. But what does work in the kingdom of God is love. We don't operate according to man's knowledge. We operate according to the commandment of God, the command that God gives us in John chapter 15, where he says, love ye one another. Because knowledge puffs up, but love will build up. And what I'm interested in here, brothers and sisters, is not knowledge that tears us apart, but love that binds us together because now we are serving one another. Now, to grasp what he is really teaching and to grasp this in the, in the teachings that Jesus gives us, what we have to do is we have to move over to um, uh, John chapter 15, Real quickly, and I'm going to give you an assignment, and that assignment is to, in the context of understanding what he's saying in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, verse, uh, what is it, verse 2? Yeah, verses 2 and 3. No, verses 1, 2, and 3. Um, what I want you to do is I want you to read John chapter 15 and then go back and read these first three verses of uh, Acts or 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. Because, uh, and, and I'll just give you the, the, uh, the, from verse 12, John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Now, to get the full extent of what he's saying, the full impact, rather, of, of what, he's, what he's saying, what you need to do is you need to read all of John chapter 15, because that explains to you this, this the verse 3, um, where he says, but the man who loves God, 
is known by God. You see, when we love God, when we serve God, uh, um, we obey his commandments. Jesus says, if you love me, if you want to show how much you love me, then obey my commandment. And this is my commandment, that you love one another. And the way you show love for one another is that you serve one another. You build each other up, not tear each other down with a bunch of uh, man-made knowledge and rules and regulations. The rule for the kingdom of God is love. Let me keep going. So, so then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. But even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and from whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Now, the argument to him, the argument to Paul is, look, concerning this food sacrifice to idols, we know that an idol ain't nothing, that they don't even exist. And so why shouldn't we go to the party, to the feast, where there are food, where there is food sacrificed to idols, and why shouldn't we join in and continue our social climbing ways, continue making deals on the golf course, continue making deals in the bar after the meeting is over, continue going to the strip club with all of the fellas where really the business is being handled and relationships are being cemented. Why shouldn't we be allowed to participate in those activities when we know that the food that is sacrificed to idols is being sacrificed to nothingness because they don't exist? That's the question that is being asked here by, uh, by the people from Corinth. Because Again, they want to stay in their old situation. They want to continue in the things that they had before because these things were the things that advanced them in a Greco-Roman society. Now, there's a problem, and Paul is pointing out the problem in a, in a most subtle way. He, he's so subtle with it that because we don't understand the culture of the time, we miss it. And what Paul is saying, was going, is going to say is, no, there's no such thing as other gods, but there's demons that are operating within the people and within those festivals that can be influential to you and could cause you to be drugged back into bondage. And perhaps the example that he's looking at took place in Numbers chapter 25. Switch over to Numbers chapter 25 real quick. I'm going to show you what, what ha what's happening here. Numbers chapter 25, and, I, and this, so I don't have to go and, and read it out of the NIV. I'm going to read it out of the ESV since I'm there already. It says, while Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore 
with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord says to Mo, said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And behold, let me make sure I can turn this page right. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. Now, what I want you to, to see here is that because they mingled with the people, they were drawn into worship, uh, the worship of idols with the people of Moab. And this was after God's deliverance to them from the Moabites, and this goes back to uh, Balaam and Balak and how, how, how uh, they, were, they were trying to curse the people, how he was trying to get that prophet to curse the people of Israel and how that prophet couldn't do anything but bless them. And so what Paul has in mind here is that the association with yeah, the, 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 in these festivals will bring about destruction and the wrath of God because what does the commandment say? Thou shalt have no other God before me. And so Paul is thinking about the purity of the people in the midst of worship, and he's saying that there is demonic apathy activity that can lead to captivity as well as bringing upon the wrath of God that has been averted from you through your acceptance of Jesus Christ. Do you see this now? Is he coming into focus a little bit better? He says, so uh, let, me, let me move on because I'll, I'll prove my point in a minute. But not everyone knows this. Let me go back and just read, a little, just go back up and, and read so I can read. Verse 6. Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and from, from whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no better if we do not eat, and no better if we do. 
But, I'm at verse 9. But, be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brother in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. Having exposed, having exposed the fact that they put themselves into danger by participating in these feasts where meat is sacrificed to idols, he then turns around and he says, look, he says, if you're, since your conscience is so strong, consider what you do to a person of lesser conscience. Is your knowledge, is your understanding so great that you would put your privilege and your knowledge before the service of a brother? Do you hate this brother so much that you are willing to exercise your freedom at the expense of him going back into sin? And if you are, guess what? You are sinning. Your knowledge is leading you into sin because you are becoming a participant in leading others into sin. You become not an agent of love that builds a person up, but instead you become an agent of the devil to tear people down. You become the agent that Satan uses to steal, kill, and destroy. And so what he's putting there is the principle of sacrifice. He says, I want you to do what Jesus did. Jesus sacrificed himself. He became the suffering servant so that we might have a right to the tree of life. That's, that's what he's saying here. And so he says, if my privilege, if my freedom is going to lead uh a brother or sister into bondage, then I am going to forego that privilege. I am going to lay aside that freedom. I am going to, even though I'm robed in righteousness and power, I am going to lay all of this aside so I can serve my brother and my sister by building them up in love. If eating meat will cause my brother to sin, I won't eat meat. If me being in a, a, a sitting up at a tavern, in a tavern, or uh, where I'm not drinking, where I'm not drunk, where uh, I'm not uh, doing anything wrong, I'm just sitting there watching the game, 
because they got the big screen TV and it's a game that 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 that's going to cost extra money on my TV to see, but I can go over here to the club with the fellas and buy me a, a, a buy me a Sprite with a twist of lime and make it look like I'm drinking a gin and tonic and sit there and watch the game. If that's going and some weak brother turns around and sees me sitting at that bar doing nothing wrong at all, just watching the game, but that tells him that he can come into the bar, and he is an ex-alcoholic, by the way, and been delivered from alcoholism, and he says, well, you know, if the birds could go sit up there, I could go sit up there too, and I can get me a toddy for the body too, and the next thing you know, he's been drawn back into sin because of my freedom, then I'm not watching the game unless I watch it at my house and I have to pay for that extra cable that extra cable bill to see that game. Otherwise, I'm not going to watch that game at that bar because it's going to lead somebody else into sin. I'm not wearing that tight dress that exposes everything that God gave me. Why? Because I know that there are some weak brothers out there who are going to focus in on what I'm wearing, even though I could wear whatever I want to wear because I'm grown and I'm free. But if it's going to cause that brother's mind to go into places that, it does, that he need not go, then I ain't wearing that dress. No. Do you see what I mean? If what I do is going to lead me into, going to lead somebody into a place that is not going to build them up, but going to tear them down, even though I know I can, I ain't. I won't do it. It's, it and that's that's literally what he's saying here. He's saying that we have to be sacrificial. That uses that word conscious, okay? And I, 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 conscious is the connection. And I'm looking at, I'm, I'm looking for something. Conscience, okay? That because I, I, I found some, some ways that I could explain conscious a little bit better. When, when they talk, when we talk about weak conscious, conscious is the inner drive within us that propels us towards ethical action. Conscious is ethical impulse. Conscious is what we know to be right. And there are there's a lot of, of, of biblical um, passages that use conscious. And, and in certain, some instances, it says their conscience is seared. And what they're saying is their conscience has been cauterized and it no longer is connected to, um, to, 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 their, to, to, to their will and their, uh, uh, or that which tells them what's right and what's wrong. Conscience is the witness of God, or let me, let me say it a little bit better. The regenerate conscious, the consciousness that comes once you are born again, is the witness of God written in your heart concerning your thoughts, 
your actions and intentions. So there's an unregenerate consciousness. There is the consciousness that is not born of God that basically tells you, that leads you into a sense of morality. And then there is the consciousness that has been born again that God imparts to you that reveals to you that which is right and that which is wrong. And when Paul talks about a brother with a weaker conscience, he's talking about a brother who is growing in the knowledge, the inner knowledge of God. And you who have who know more, who are closely connected with that which God has revealed to you and it's written on your heart, it allows you to discern more. And so more is expected of you because the strong must bear the infirmity of the weak. Now, I've run out of time, so what I want to do with you tonight is I want to make sure that you do a couple of things. Number one, I want you to Go back and read in the context of um, John chapter 15. I also want you to look at um, Matthew chapter 15. So the assignment that, that's going to help you understand some more is read John chapter 15 in the context of, of um, 1 Corinthians 8, and then also read Matthew chapter 15, because Matthew chapter 15 will tell you about the things that defile a man. You see, because in, in Jesus tells us that it's not what goes in our mouth that, 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 that defiles us, but it's what comes, uh, uh, what comes out of our mouths that defiles us because our mouth reveals the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And here in chapter 8, what you're seeing is the questions that comes out, come out of their mouths reveal the intent of their hearts. And the things that come out of us is what defile us or what tells us, what tells us what's really in us. Is it love that's being coming out of your mouth or is it? the quest to make sure that you get what's coming to you because you got rights. I'll, I'll go into this a little bit more uh, in Chapter 9 because when we get into rights, you know, because uh, he's going to go on in Chapter 9 about rights because now what what these people are doing that are, that's bringing division is they're saying we got a right to do certain things. And so what he deals with in chapter 8 is their right to these festivals that are going to give them status versus them serving weaker brothers in love. And we got some rights that, that we got to take a look at too. I'll, I'll, I'll go more into that and more application next week. But anyway, if you have any questions, call me at 929-477-2304 or Put it up on the screen. I'm going to close out tonight in prayer. After the prayer, uh, I want to make sure that if you have any questions that you ask the questions, and please make sure you share this video with others. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. We bless you and we praise you. God, there is so much talk in the church about elevation. 
we become such social climbers. We become so hung up on titles and prestige. We brought this stuff from the world into your house. And, Father, we confess it as sin. Tonight, Father, we would pray that you would bring us back to the place that Jesus wants us, and that is loving one another, serving one another, building up each other, recognizing that we do have rights, but that our rights take a back seat to the needs of our brothers and our sisters. Help us to see that, God, and help us to be servants. Help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Help us, O oh God, to walk in love with one another as we walk in step with you. We bless you and we praise you for this teaching and what you've revealed to us tonight. Now we pray, Father, that as those who have attended this Bible study and who will um, will see the video later, we pray that you would drop them even deeper into their word, into your word individually as they read Matthew chapter 15 and as they read uh, John chapter 15 and as they focus in on what you tell them to do and how you lead them to do it by your spirit. We bless you and we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, are there any questions tonight? Well, bless you tonight. Hey, happy birthday, Sharon. Hope you had a wonderful, wonderful birthday today. I hope you did something fun. And I hope you got some cake. And if you did get some cake, eat a piece for me too. So we're going to close out with that. Everybody should wish Sharon a happy birthday too, by the way. Um, we're going to um, we're going to close out, and I will see you next Wednesday night, and we will move right into chapter nine, where we talk about Amen, where we where we'll begin to talk about rights. Be blessed and have a wonderful, wonderful evening. This has been Pastor Winfred Burns, and you have been live with the Word on Wednesday. Bless you. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.